Welcome to the Business with Bordeaux podcast, where we're bringing basic business tips to entrepreneurs and the future leaders of tomorrow. Let's get down to business. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Business with Bordeaux podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining me here on the show for another week. Now, if you didn't catch last week's show, last week was just me kind of sharing the beginnings of my experience. But this week, we are back on track with another interview from Miss Erin Knight. If you are familiar with Track Stars at all, you have heard them talk about, especially here in the last few months, about an event called Rap Reel. Now, Erin Knight is the one who has put that together. And so we talk a lot about her journey growing up, uh, from the beginnings of her learning about you know being an entrepreneur from the early age of eight years old. And, uh, and, and that just shows, to me, that just shows early signs of somebody who was going to grow up encounter the world of business and how that affects long term in the way that we just, you know, kind of think about things in life in general. She shares that wonderful story with us. And then she even goes into a little bit about rap row in detail about the ending of it. You know, got a little bit about, you know, the actual um, what it cost in terms of doing that and how that weighs out. And so there was a lot of great information shared. Uh, she does share a lot about her journey with uh, talking to the guy who puts together the warp the warped tour. If you're not aware of that, that's a huge tour that happens nationally. And so that was um, that was great and, uh, and it was just an overall a great interview. But uh, before we get into it, I do want to thank our patrons for the show, Mr. Aaron Simpkins over at TrueStrengthApparel.com. Now, just today, um, today's um, the last day of March, March 31st. Today, I saw actually where KJ52 has actually uh, done a contest, and I think it's Beat the Dad Bod or something like that. But um, anyway, go check it out on uh, KJ52's Instagram. You can win some free True Strength apparel gear. And so shout out to KJ52 for doing that, and shout out to Aaron for putting out some great clothing. TrueStrengthApparel.com, make sure you check that out. And I also want to shout out WordPress Stan. He has been consistently sharing the podcast that we did together. He was on this show and he talked about WordPress, the the, the the platform of WordPress and creating a website. And so you could check him out at WPStand.com or you can just listen to the interview that I've had with him as well as the interview with Aaron Simpkins. And so anyway, without further ado, uh, this is the, the interview that I had with Aaron Knight of The Aaron Effect. Welcome back to the Business with Bordeaux podcast. I'm honored today to have a guest. Uh, a lot of y'all may have heard from her on the Track Stars radio show. Uh, her name is, or oh, just had a brain fart. What's your last name? Erin Knight. Erin Knight. Aaron Knight. Man, I can't believe I did that. I think it's the first time I've done that. <laughs> it's Continued cool. learning experiences for myself. Anyway, I'm glad to have you on the show. You are the first lady guest that we have had. Hey, I love that. That's awesome. I've been trying to get some ladies on the show. I- I've talked to a few. And, um, and so, yeah, it's really cool to have you on. Honestly, I, sh- I was really pushing for last month or for March, which I guess is still March the 31st. So, yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, it's really cool. So, so you are the, uh, you're the chief creator of the Aaron effect. You, uh, you head up rap real, which a lot of people have heard about on track stars, uh, as well as you do consulting. Uh, you told me you consult Kayla Mitchell, which I think a lot of people are aware of what he does. And, uh, I mean, I actually manage him. There's not consulting with him. I manage him. So that's that's awesome. So, um, so you, you got a lot of things going on. And I, first of all, before we jump into what you do in, entirely with Aaron Effect, I'd love to know kind of 
what it was like growing up. When did you feel like this is kind of something you wanted to do and what kind of led into the start of the Aaron effect? Uh, so, uh, my mom is like an incredible woman. Like I love my mom to death. Like she's one of my, she, she's one of my favorite people on the face of the planet. And she's probably only beat by her mother, my grandmother. (laughs) They're just like, they're just like beautiful, strong women who like are just fantastic. So, um, my parents are both pastors, my dad and mom, they passed their church together. So, uh, I grew up in the church. They were associate pastors at our old church. And then um, they started their own. So I grew up with them modeling kind of like the starter mentality. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like, like if you want something done, you just got to do it, you know, and like being self-starters. My mom has an event planning company and she used to be a wedding coordinator. So I would see her take something from zero to completion just off of a thought. So um, my parents are definitely uh, of an entrepreneurial mindset And that just cultivated something in me because I'm very much like uh, a self-starter. And I love seeing how things work and like where they go from the ground up. So um, I started my first business when I was eight uh, and it was called Heavenly Treats. And I had a friend that that I went to church with and she was like an amazing baker. Like she was eight with me. We were the same age and I would go to her house over the summertime, like when we were six and seven and she used to make these chocolate chip cookies and it was her grandmother's recipe. And they were better than any cookie, like any chocolate chip cookie. And I found out she put vanilla pudding in them to make them super moist. And I was like, yo, that's amazing. Like we got to sell these. And she's like, yeah, one day I want to open up a bakery. And I'm like, one day we have a church right now. Like, what do you mean? So like after church, we set up and she would sell. She also knew how to make red velvet cake. So she would make a red velvet cake and chocolate chip cookies. And so the first Sunday we set up after church and we sold out. We had one cake and like maybe a dozen chocolate chip cookies. And I was like, whoa. And people were like, well, why didn't you bring more? And we had a tiny church. There was maybe like, you know, 75 to 80 people there. This is like right after my parents started their church. Um, And so, uh, we sold out and then uh, the next week I was like, well, I'm going to bring like chips and like, you know, everything because people are hungry after church. Right. And it turned into like this whole like side hustle. And we made a thousand dollars in one summer. Wow. But my mom shut us down in August because we were leaving out of the church service to like. Uh, go set up our display and she was like you're too into this you're idolizing this like classic like sanctified mother she was like this is an idol I'm shutting it down so she shut us down and I was super bummed so we split the money because we had just been keeping it in the pot so we split the money and then that was the end of that you know and it it was cool it was a great experience and and from then on I was like I like making money (laughs) so I mean I didn't have anything to spend it on and after that I had like a mom's day out I did this like daycare program I was like 12 and I was like having moms drop their kids off at my house during the summer I was (laughs) babysitting kids at 12 and like they trusted me because when I was younger I used to like run the nursery when I was super young so I don't know I would never trust a 12 year old with another child at this point in my life but they did and so I don't know I've always kind of been of the entrepreneurial mindset uh when I was in high school I played sports so I was never able to really venture off into that 
but high school showed me that I hated being broke. Um, so then when I graduated from high school, instead of going straight to college, I went and got my real estate license and started selling real estate in Georgia. So at one point I was the youngest real estate agent in the state of Georgia. Wow. Um, cause I turned 18, like a couple weeks before I got my license and, you know, you have to be 18. So it was, um, yeah. So I've always just kind of had, uh, that bug. And it's, to me, it's not about the money really. It's kind of like me learning something new and then helping that new trait, helping somebody actualize whatever their dream or whatever they're looking forward to. Like it was brilliant for me being 18, selling somebody their first home in their forties. Like that experience was crazy. I was like, wow, like this is their first, first home. Like even ownership to me, like I grew up with my parents always owning their home, but I didn't realize like how like incredible and a feeling that was for people, you know? So, um, that was another cool experience. So yeah, like it's just kind of been steady building. I've always had, uh, uh some sort of business that I've done, um, when I was younger. And so it, it was a natural pro- progression for sure. So you enjoyed seeing a smile on people's faces and meeting a need that they had. Man, it's crazy. Literally last night, I was like, my favorite feeling in the world is making somebody smile. I absolutely love it. Like, I feel like there's no more genuine, no more simple human interaction than to make somebody smile. Right. And I love it because like, you know, I I tell people a lot of time, if, if somebody's focused on starting a business is having money, they're going to fail. Right. They're they're, they're just going to. Definitely. There's no successful business that just spurs up and grows and lasts off of the whole entire mission of making money. Right. There's got to be a real purpose behind it. Yeah. So I love that. And I love how the the same kind of, you know, the, the drive kind of came along throughout the years and, and, and making money as a part of it is just a bonus. Right. I mean, for sure. So uh, that, that's, it's, it's really cool, really awesome. So after you started your real estate, how did you get into you know, what was it that kind of led you into the Aaron effect? So I went to real estate school as a reaction to like my college choices. Uh, I wanted to go to Duke. Duke has always been, well, always since I knew what a college was, Duke was my favorite ever college. I'm a huge college basketball fan. And I was eight. I saw Duke win the national championship. And I was like, oh my God, who is this man? Like I, I liked the team. But the coach to me was so inspiring. So, of course, that's Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K. I was like, man, he's incredible. I want to go to his school. Are you still a Duke fan? A huge Duke fan. Shout out. Let's not talk talk about it because I'm really hurt right now. Like, really hurt right now. My daughter was was born at Duke. And at that point, point, you know, my wife and I, we just kind of naturally pulled for Duke. And uh, oh, yeah. but everybody around here is all kids. Like we're surrounded by Carolina UNC fans. <laughs> we're surrounded. And Wake Forest fans. Like why? <laughs> yeah. So before you know, let's, let's go ahead and get off, get back on topic because Duke is a whole <laughs> college basketball is just a whole different topic in general. So anyway, right, right, so you wanted to go to Duke and yeah. So I wanted to go to Duke and I got in, and I'm the only girl. I have an older brother and a younger brother. And my dad was like, "You're not going out of state." And I'm like. I literally got into my choice school. Like, it's incredible. (laughs) So he was like, okay, well, you can go if they give you a scholarship. So I'm like, word. I applied for scholarships in, like, out-of-state 
is like yeah. $40,000 a student. It's insane. It's crazy. Duke gives me like a $30,000 a year scholarship. Nice. And I'm like, dad, I got a $30,000 a year. Cause like I had really good grades. I played academics, you know, like I was, I was good. Um, as far as that went. And, and he was like, okay, um, that's not a full scholarship. You can't go. So like, obviously <laughs> like now hindsight, looking back, I was devastated, but wow. I just know like I'm my dad's only daughter. I was 18. He just was not prepared to send me to another state. You know what I'm saying? I can understand. Um, so, and you know, I'm thinking North Carolina is like, Duke is like set like six and a half hours from me. You know what I'm saying? Like I could reasonably drive that, but he was just not into it. So I told them the one school I didn't want to go to was Georgia state. I applied to uh, uh, another university in South Georgia, some in Tennessee, like all these different places, every place I chose, my dad was like, no. So I just realized he just wanted me to live at home and go to school, <laughs> which is not what I was trying to do. Like my older brother had done that. So he just assumed I was going to do that, but I'm just like a completely different type person so they were like no 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 you're gonna go to Georgia State and so I was like no I'm not so I went to real estate school and then I went to Georgia State for a semester and I hated it and so I left Georgia State and I went to this is all leading up I promise yeah, you. No, that's fine. I, went, you're good. <laughs> I went to Georgia State for a semester and I was just like I'm not into this like I had a complex back then for sure, but I was like, I'm too smart to be going to the local state school. <laughs> you know, like I got into Duke University. Right. So um, it's like Harvard so to you, left- right? Yeah, ba- yeah, like basically, like Ivy League. What? Like I'm going to an ACC school with the best basketball team. Like, um, but yeah, no, like Duke has a great program. Like I really do think that they're like in a league of their own. You know, there's a lot of really great schools in the southeast. Um, so that ended up not working out. So I transferred to uh, a, a school that's based out of Jacksonville, Florida, but they had a satellite campus here. Um, it was called Logos Christian College. And uh, the reason that I decided to go there was the church that we used to attend where my parents were pastors. They had like a, a, a an internship program paired with the, the degree program. So you could go and um, their internship was focused on like um, building other ministries um, like internationally, though. Oh, and okay. so they would partner with smaller churches and we would go teach them how to do like conferences or we would like literally help them build their locations. So missional work, but not like, oh, we're going to feed the poor kids in Africa. Like, not like that. It was like focused on building other smaller ministries and equipping them and showing them how to, you know, create uh, standards for themselves, so to speak. So I really like that. Um, My mom, as an event and planner, I kind of understood that kind of like thought process. So I was like, cool, I can get a degree and I can travel. So I got into that program. I went out of the country several times. I got to go to Romania, Germany, Mexico. It was like uh, like a beautiful situation for wow. me. And it grew me up a lot because I was very frustrated with where I was. And I said, if I couldn't go to the school that I wanted to go to, one of my goals at a young age was to travel. Right. And so, um, so I was like, at least I can get that. If I'm going to be at my house with my parents, I'll be able to travel. And my parents were mad. <laughs> they hated it. They were like, why would you go to that school? Like what? Like my degree was in. Uh, my degree was in ministry with a focus on um, human psychology and youth ministry. And they were like, you can't make a living off of that. These are my two pastor parents telling me this. But my dad worked full time in the FAA, um, even though he was a pastor. And my mom, she ran the church like uh, like on a weekly basis, but she had her event planning company. So they're very much people who like almost approached like full time ministry as a side hustle, but they did it really well. They just figured out how to uh, work it out. So um, I was like, this is funny. Like you guys are saying you want me to go 
to a regular college and y'all are in ministry. Um, So, yeah, they're like practical people. So I get it. So I did that program. One of the guys that I was in the program with was just a very musical guy. I've always kind of been like a music freak. Like I have stories for years about funny and interesting stuff that I did when I was younger, but I never learned how to play an instrument. Um, And so he was just really good. And I just really loved hanging out with him. Right after we graduated from um, Logos, he started a band and he invited me to their first show. And um, I came to their first show and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I had recently had like a serious accident. Like, I don't know if you can see, but like I like got, I basically like was on a golf cart with a friend and golf carts are big in this area of the suburbs. But anyways, I was riding with him and a bunch of other people. He ends up flipping the golf cart. It was this crazy story. And like, we all fly out. I lost like most of the skin on my face and a lot of my hair. It was like crazy. So I basically, the doctors wouldn't let me out of the house uh, for two and a half months because they said I could get infected and my face could get green. It was like this crazy like experience again. Um, And so this was the first show where the doctors cleared me. They're like, you can go out of the house for longer than like 10 minutes. Like literally I couldn't be in the sun, anything. And it was a night show. So I was excited. And so I was just excited to be around my friends. I didn't super pay attention, but I'm like, oh, you guys are cool. You played a cold pick cover. So they were like, no, you got to come to the next show. So the next show was maybe like two weeks later. I saw them and I got chills. And I was like, you guys are incredible. Like, you know, if you do blah, 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 you could probably make more money. And I was like talking to the lead singer and he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, he was like, well, let me get your phone number. And I'm kind of a, I'm a maximizer. Like I can go into a situation and see like, uh, like what, what'll make it better. And I, even right. if I'm not in this situation, I can literally walk into like Walmart and I'm like, if your display <laughs> was set up like this, yeah. you know, like, like that's just the way my mind works anywhere that I go. I'm thinking of efficiency. I do the, I do the same thing. I'm like, See, I'm like, it'd like, be so much better if they would just do this. Like, right. And yeah. like, I understand, or I'll, like, I'll go into like, like one of my favorite stores is Old Navy. I'm like, I bet they have more points of sale right here because this is at eye level, you know? So like, I can appreciate when people are doing things right too. So I just told them like a couple of things, like really basic stuff. Cause I didn't know anything about the mu- music industry at that point. I was just talking about business. And I was like, you know, if you set yourself up as an LLC, you could write off of all of your instruments. And he was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like you guys purchased them and like, you can write that, you know? So he just started hitting me up like every day. Like, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? I didn't know any of the answers. So I would just go straight to Google. And when I would go to Google, I kept finding podcasts and like just different people who worked in the music industry, like da 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 for new bands and blah, blah, blah. So I just started signing up for all these newsletters. I was constantly like reading. And so I just all day, every day I was reading. And when he would ask me questions, I would answer them or I'd be like, I don't know, let's look here. And so he started researching with me. So that was in 2011, uh, like, like I think June 2011, and I jumped in and I started working with them. He would call me his manager, but the band didn't. Um, <laughs> they were not into that, and they're like, "What do we need a manager for?" And so uh, I ended up telling them, the lead singer was like in a music business program in um, in uh, a school here in Georgia. And they were talking about this conference, this music conference that was coming to the state, uh, to Georgia. And I was like, cool, like, let's go. And the band was like, no, I don't think so. And I'm like, guys, I think this would be good. You guys can learn about the industry. You can showcase for some people. So we go and it's this tiny, 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 tiny music conference. And Kevin Lyman is there, who's the founder of Warp Tour, which is like a huge tour that goes all over the country. Right. Um, 
we end up showcasing and he's standing in another room and I'm like, Hey Kevin, I need you to come see my guys. Like they're incredible. And he literally is like, okay. He leaves everybody he's talking to in the room and walks in. My guys are showcasing. He sees them do two songs, walks up to the stage and puts them on the full tour. It's like the most like insane, like Cinderella story. Like we were a brand new baby band. So that started my progression into full-time or not. I can't even say full-time management, but uh, started my progression into management. He puts them on a full tour. It's like 42 dates across the country. We had just been playing local shows and now I had to learn how to do that. So all of a sudden they, the band's like, okay, you're our manager. So did you go with um, them on tour? Yeah, yes. Nice. <laughs> so like that was September of 2011 and he was putting us on the tour for the summertime. So I like, you know, that was like throwing me like one of my old basketball coaches used to say, like throwing a baby in the water uh, with a brick around their ankle. So it was like it wasn't even like, let me toss you in the water and teach you how to swim. It's like I'm going to add some weight to you, too, and teach you how to swim with weight. So like I did that. We did the tour and then everything just started kind of progressing from there. We got a lawyer, you know, it was just like, it was a beautiful thing. So I learned so much about the music industry over the course of those years. Um, so now, band started, sorry, on, on this actual tour, did like, what was that when, like, did, did y'all generate revenue from that tour? Yes. So was that, I was, was like, that the first time from music that y'all generated revenue? Yeah, for well, yeah, because like we've been playing local shows, and it's like you do a local show and you make you know, like we did really well, honestly, in hindsight, looking it back. But we would do a show and make like $300, and then we take that $300, they'd spend 150 on practice space so that they could be good, you know, right. and then we'd put 150 in the bank, and then another show, and then we'd buy merch, you know. And so for us, that was kind of like what, uh, you know, we, we were generating revenue, but it was very much on a small scale. So for that tour to take place, I told them, I was like, we're going to need about $30,000 to get on the road. And they were like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's 42 dates over the course of three months. We got to get a vehicle. We got to buy merchandise. So <clears throat> I ended up telling them like, we need to either, you know, like we either need to find an investor or we got to fundraise. And that's when Kickstarter was big, but we had a tiny fan base and I just knew a Kickstarter wouldn't work. Um, so we just started doing like fundraising shows, hitting up friends and family. And then we ended up raising about $20,000 and we all contributed cash ourselves, And then we got a $10,000 like loan from a family friend who like invested in it and they just wanted to recoup once the tour was over. Right. So we uh, got about $35,000 and then um, we went on tour and we, we, we made $42,000. So, so a, a thousand back, a day, essentially. Essentially. Yeah. Wow. Cause he was paying us about, um, he was paying us, I think he was paying us like $800 per or 625. That's what was $625 per show, which we were like, what? Yes, That's yeah. amazing. But we were going like our drives were from like Denver to Vegas. So it's like, you know, like that's your gas money right there. And we were in this old beat up van that died the first uh, second day of tour. Like I told them not to buy it. I wanted to rent from a company, but they didn't want to, you know, it was just like, yeah. that was crazy. Even learning to like, find my manager voice in those moments were right. like incredible. And then like your van breaking down the second day of tour, like, do you go home or you figure it out? And I literally had one off day to figure it out. And it was, I don't know, the grace of God was totally there. I learned so much, but I like, I really learned how to depend on him for stuff. Like I was freaking out. Um, so one second. So yeah, so we did the tour. Go ahead. So I just want to go back real quick before I forget. Whenever you saw the, uh, the guy who headed up the warp tour, when you saw him, 
at that conference? Like, what was it that made you go and speak to him? Because I feel like a lot of people would be kind of scared to approach somebody who heads up a huge tour like that. And, yeah. you know, what was it that just made you go over there and approach him? You know, what, were you nervous? How did you get over that? You know, what was it that just, you know, I mean, are, are you that outgoing anyway? Uh, I think now, yes. But then, no. I mean, I'm always, I've been an outgoing person. And I think I've always been pretty confident in myself. Um but uh, so I'm like a Google freak. So I already knew everybody who was going to be at that conference speaking and whatnot. So we knew he was going to be there after we signed up. I was like, oh, word, this would be cool. Maybe we can make a relationship. So um, I wasn't even thinking lofty, like we're going to get on this tour. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like I had realistic goals. Um, so I knew he was going to be there. So I started watching interviews with him on YouTube. And he just seemed like a very kind and humble man. And I'm like, if he's anything like what he's going to be like, I just want to talk to him. So right after the first session, I, t I was like, all of y'all get up. We're going to talk to him. So we walked over and we were like, hey, Kevin, da, 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 da. But I didn't have a point of contact. Like, I didn't have anything to talk about. So it was kind of awkward. We just introduced ourselves as a band. And I wasn't technically their manager. So I couldn't even be like, this is a band I manage, which made it even more awkward. I was like, here's the silver comment. Uh, they do da, 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 da. And he was like, oh, do you sing? I was like, no, I'm not in the band. You know, so it was like, it was like this weird thing, but he was like very gracious. It was awkward, but he didn't make us feel that way. And it was just a short conversation. And we were like, we're showcasing tonight. And he was like, okay, cool. I'm going to come. But you know, like even then before, I, this was way before I knew the industry. You, I didn't know if he was going to come. He could have just been being nice. So that night when he was there at the venue, the venue had three parts. So he was standing in one part and we had seen him and I was like, hey, what's up? You know, like just like making contact again. And he was nice again. So I didn't think anything of it. But when my guy started to play in the other room and he was in this like one venue and everybody was surrounding him. Of course you think he's the founder of Warp Tour and everybody in the room wants to be with this guy. He's the most important person. So it was literally like, a circle of people around him, like on all sides, like talking and like trying to impress him. And so I literally just cut to the people. That was literally <laughs> the most nerve wracking thing because right. they were on stage and they're like, we're about to start. Nobody's in the room. And I didn't care that nobody was in the room. I wanted Kevin Lyman to be in there. Right. So I'm like, palm shaking they're like you gotta go get him and i'm like why like i'm like well if you start playing maybe he'll hear y'all and then i'm like he doesn't know what my band sounds like how would he know to come in here so i was like i gotta go do this so i literally prayed i'm like god please just help me and i'm like shaking like my hands are shaking my palms are sweating like you know like the whole like eminem lose yourself like right. like that whole thing i was freaking all the way out but i'm like i just gotta do it so i started walking towards him I saw, I saw the group of people around him and I'm like, ah, so I literally cut through. I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. And they're all looking at me like, oh, why are you trying to get here? You know, like we're talking to Kevin and I'm like, hey, Kevin, my guys are playing in the other room. He literally looks directly at me. He says, okay. And walks straight to the room, like stops wow. all conversations. And like, honestly, Kevin Lyman to this day is one of my favorite people in the music industry i can shoot him an email right now in the midst of all that's going on and he still will take the time to respond even if he can't accommodate he'll be like hey Aaron, yeah da, 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 da. you know what right. i'm saying like he's just a sweet kind man i see like that was 2012 and i i saw him this summer and i'm friends with his daughter like he's he's just like he's a good guy like he keeps like that was my first taste of like head honchos in the industry. And for me, that was a godsend because it showed me that people can be kind and they can be decent and they can care about people even when they have 
clout money status. Like you don't have to become that jerk, you know? And so he walked into the room and the entire room that he was with followed. So not only did Kevin Lyman show up, but like the venue filled up with people to watch my band. So like, it was, it was a huge win. And I was like, cool, he's going to watch them. He's going to give us feedback and that'll be awesome. But he literally walks up to the stage during their last song. And I was like, freaking out. Like, what is he telling them? Like, (laughs) I didn't know if he was like, you guys, I don't think he was like, you guys are trash. But so I was he was talking to them? Yeah, he oh, just okay. walked up and starts talking to my lead singer because they're like, okay, this is our last song. Thank you guys for coming out. Because, you know, it's a showcase. So right. it's like you only get like three or four songs. And so, like, I think they did four. And he, like, just walks up to the stage. And my lead singer leans over and is trying to hear them. So my drummer starts making this face. And my guitarist is, like, smiling. But he was, like, a goofy guy. So I thought he was just smiling, like, because he was nervous. So I didn't know what was going on. So then they kill the next song. Like, I see them play all the time. I got chills on their last song. So they walk off stage, and my lead singer was like, that was crazy. And I'm like, what just happened? And he was like, oh, you didn't hear? I was like, no. He's like, Kevin walked up and said, I'm going to put you guys on the whole tour, and you just got to play this last song like it's the last effing song of your life. (laughs) So, like... So, like, my lead singer was Juice, but my drummer couldn't hear that. Of course, he's sitting back. So my drummer is mad thinking that he's sitting there, like, cursing him out, like, you guys are trash. So my drummer just kills it. He just plays his heart out. And my lead singer does, too, which pushes both of our guitarists to kill it. And our bass player, which is what needed to happen. It was the perfect reaction. So our drummer was finding out at the same time as me that they're about to go play Warp Tour. And we were like, oh, my gosh. So he walks up to us after, and we were like, we're going to have to figure out how to pay for this. He's like, I'm going to pay you guys for the whole tour. I know you can't afford it. You guys are a brand new band. I'm going to help you guys out. So like, he's just like, he didn't even have to do any of that. But then the fact that he paid us shows that he's just a decent dude. You know what I'm saying? Like when people invite you out on tour, they don't have to pay you. Like they're not doing that. You know, they're like, you'll make your money off of merch. We're giving you a huge opportunity. So that was my introduction to like the music industry really. And it changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. Yeah. I can imagine this It's kind of like, you know the very. I mean, yours is a, yours is obviously uh, a much higher level <laughs> because you're talking to a guy of a warp tour. But it was essentially, the same way I kind of felt the first time I, I reached out to um, a, a, a bigger name for an interview. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like you know I kind of had that same feeling, and I was like, for me, it was like, should I even reach out? Is it even worth it? Are they going to respond to me? <laughs> right. You know, it's like, who am I? I'm not this, right. you know. And uh, and so yeah, just that that simple, you know. I think that's that kind of step of faith that that I think about. You know, it's like you know God's going to open a door, but you, or He may or may not, but you have to reach out for it to see if it's going to open. Right. Exactly. And so that's that's like. Go ahead, sorry. I was going to say that that's a great example of that. Us, you actually doing something and then right. God making it happen. Right, for sure. Yeah, a lot of times people are like, what do I need to do? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, just go. And they're like, what? Like, Or people, my favorite like Christian term, like, I'm just waiting on God. And I'm like, <laughs> the Bible says he'll order our steps. Right. That means you have to be walking. You can't sit on the couch and wait for God. Yeah. You know, and so I tell people all the time, like, you got to just take a step. And the thing is, as you begin to take steps, 
little victories will make you like want to continue, you know, your pace starts to pick up. So I was like, I'm grateful for that little victory because I was met with so much failure over the next like three years. And I know, and that wasn't a little victory. That was a huge victory, but I was met with so much failure, but because God gave me the grace to give me that victory, I knew that I could keep going. And even now there's so many things that happen like just over the course of that leading up to me now managing Caleb Mitchell, I just completely left the music industry. I started working in film in 2016, no, 2015. So 2000, into 2014, uh, we had gone on a European tour. 2015, we were doing like really cool stuff, still completely independent. We started our own label. We had an investor, like, again, the grace of God, he showed me how to do things from the ground up. And, uh, but my band, they were all saved. We were in the secular market, but they were all saved minus our bass player. And we just prayed for them. It was nothing. There was a lot of unity. There was a lot of love. And, um, the band started falling apart, but it was still like, we still worked it out. We hired musicians and whatnot, but, uh, they stopped loving Jesus and it was just, I couldn't be a part of it anymore. It was breaking my heart for them, but it was like vexing my spirit. And so I left and I, I'm not one of these people who, I don't make huge distinctions of like Christian hip hop, Christian this, Christian that. Like I'm Christian, but I don't walk around like shouting from the, I'm a Christian. I live that way. That's it. Like that's my life. And so for me, it's like, I don't, I feel like, you know, how people say for the marketplace and and for the church, like I believe that I'm, I'm called to the secular world. Like, and you know, like that doesn't bother me. So, but I had to leave because I can't be aligned with something that, like working that closely to to promote something that doesn't glorify God. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so I left music and I went into film. And that's how I learned how to like I like I anyway I ended up shooting a music video with them at the end. We hired a producer and director. She really liked like my eye. And so she started teaching me how to do things. And I got into film and I had to tell the band, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. My my heart's not in it. My soul's not in it. And they thought I was leaving because they weren't making as much money anymore. And I had been doing it for so long, just basically being a volunteer. But it really was, it was, it was really, I just couldn't be a part of it anymore. So I did the film thing for a long time, a long time. I did the film thing for nine months. I learned film, started, <laughs> I started working on movies and it was just like really cool. I like learned, I've, I've done everything from being like a PA to a script supervisor over the course of nine months. Like again, the grace of God, like when I dive into something, I dive in head first. Right. I started my own production company. And so that's when the air and effect really took shape. Um, 2016. I'd been consulting for years. I'd been working in industries for years, even with music. Like I had been on panels and people would ask me, you know, like, how do I get this started? I've helped a lot of bands like get their leg in the door. Um, and it just turned into me, uh, I don't know, being almost like a jack of all trades. I don't know how to do all things, but I know how to do a lot of things that are like desirable. And so, um, I was like, I need to make money off of this. So I wanted to commodify it and I didn't know how. And so I had this idea called manage me where people could like kind of sign in and I could manage them short term, like for a month or three months or, you know, it it was like, I didn't have to make a commitment to them because if I'm going to commit to something, I have to absolutely love it. But getting the bare bones of a business together and learning how to run music is, is pretty simple. So I had that and then that didn't super work out. It was just like, uh, and then I started the, the production company and it was called That's Dope. And I was doing that. And then I started another production company where I was doing reels for people with the chick that 
taught me about the the film industry. So I started doing all these different things. And I was like, I want to put it up under one umbrella. And uh, so my friends had this big event that they do in Atlanta called Rock Fest. And it's kind of like a Christian festival with like hip hop artists and rock artists. Oh, word. Yeah. Yeah. So my friends, they put it on every summer. It's like a two day event. And they're like, you know, you're really good at events. We really want to know like how we can make this thing better. So they like hired me to come teach them how to like make it better. And I sat down and thought it was going to be this arduous, like long meeting. They asked me all these questions and I answered them and we were done in like 15 minutes. And I was like, is that it? And they were like, you just told us like our entire life. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like <laughs> I like I thought it was going to be something complicated, but like this is this is my life, you know, like so it's like easy stuff. And my friend was like, man, I got to start calling. She's like, that's the Aaron effect. Every time I'm around you, you make my life simpler. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Because, like, my goal is to make things make sense for people. Like, I feel like a lot of times in my head, I can see the finish line and the start of the next race before you've even gotten your numbers, you know? And that's just, like, kind of the way that my mind works. So I feel like making it simple for people is kind of like where an anointing lies in my life. Because I believe that we try to complicate things so much. And I, I just think life is so simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. And um, so I'm into like practical steps and things like that. So she said, you know, that's the Aaron effect. And we ended up leaving the meeting. And the whole time I'm walking up the street, I'm like, man, that's cool. The Aaron effect. Like I was like really like juiced on it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so like I was like smiling and like walking up the street. And I'm like, I really like that. And so um, I had a job at the time. I was working for a coffee company and I had helped them build from the ground up. And that's another way that I learned about a a different industry. And they had, uh, I can't say they went public. They didn't get bought out by a corporation, but they completely expanded and they were supposed to give me shares of the company. And they like boxed me out and didn't give me anything. And I was devastated. So I had that meeting and then I decided to quit my job like a day later. So I quit. And I went on vacation with my grandmother. She was turning 90 and I took her to the beach with my mom. And um, it was a perfect time for me to have like a break in my mind and not be at home like moping. Um, I was devastated that the company didn't want it was it was a long process. It, It was devastating to me, but it was freeing in a sense because I had been working for them for years for sweat equity, making like next to nothing. I was making like chump change because I knew that I was, you know, working towards a bigger goal. I'm about to own part of this coffee company. Um, So I had just heard Caleb Mitchell's record uh, right before I went out of town. And I had, so I had Caleb Mitchell's record. I had the beach in a beautiful view. And then I had the idea for the air in effect. This was last year? Last April. Okay. Um, And I had already started producing videos online under That's Dope. And I just, because that's like the phrase that I say whenever I enjoy something. I'm like, that's dope, that's dope, that's dope. Um, So I was like, well, maybe I'll change That's Dope to the Aaron Effect. And then, I don't know, God really just started putting it together for me in my mind. I had started working on this conference with some other people um, for for the church group that I'm associated with, with my parents. They're over my parents' church. Uh, We're affiliated with like 25 other churches in the Southeast. And so we were working on the, the conference for that summer. And I was like, well, maybe I can get Caleb Mitchell to come. So I reached out to him. Um, and his dad emails me back. His dad's like, Hey, I manage him right now. He's only 17. So da, 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 da. So we start talking and it ends up not working out with the conference budget to get him. But like, just in some short emails, his dad is like, I'd really like to get on the phone with you. And I was like, I don't know why. Like, I didn't really tell him much about me. 
Um, but I like curate shows. I, I work with different festivals here in Atlanta and I, you know, like I put artists on. And so like his dad didn't know anything about me. And so we just start doing phone calls like, like once every week, it was like out of nowhere. We just start doing phone calls. And I told his dad, like what I saw in Caleb and what I thought about him. And for some reason, they like really loved me. And I'm saying some reason, not because like not trying to be funny, like about who I am, but like I thought Caleb was incredible and I felt like I could hear who he was beyond his music, you know. And I think when I talked, his dad could tell. You know what I'm saying? And we just had so many like similar, like the more we talked, the more we realized how similar our upbringing was. Like Caleb's dad is a pastor and uh, his dad is a military man, like my dad. And you, Caleb's a middle child. You know, it's just like, it's all these like crazy things. And just like Caleb's nine years younger than me, but I felt like he is essentially living my life that I lived. You know what I'm saying? There's right. so many similar So over the months, it just kept progressing. They came down. I shot a music video for them in June. And I don't know. It just kept getting better and better. The relationship got better and better. And so now I manage Caleb Mitchell. So, um, But leaving music and going into film uh, gave me like a reprieve, like gave me a break. I'm kind of like I have like a conqueror's mentality. Like as soon as I do something, I want to go on to the next and I want to go on to the next. I think I needed that break from music so I could have a moment to hear clearly from God and then to know that I wanted to work with Caleb. Um, I wasn't looking for him. It just came out of nowhere. Somebody reposted his, his, his record on SoundCloud. It gave me chills. Like I never work with anybody that doesn't give me chills. That's kind of like my only like litmus, litmus test. Like it has to affect me that way. Um, And I just loved it, but I wasn't working in music anymore. Like when I quit my job, I went into film. And um, so it was cool, but I, my heart is in music and it just worked out that Caleb kind of brought me back around. And it was a great story of redemption because I felt like all those years that I spent in rock music, pouring my heart and soul and volunteering for that band was lost because I was just like, well, I don't know if I'll ever find anybody who's moving forward like this or who, you know, is on track to have a record deal or, you know, like it was cool, but I didn't want to spend another four or five years volunteering for somebody. Right. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Especially, especially cause I'm getting older and I just know I had such a knowledge that I had gained and learned experiences like, you know, international tours, national tours, like, you know, just things that I had done. Um, so I was a little disheartened. So finding Caleb and he was already on the upswing and then them wanting me to be a part of it, even though they had so many people with their hands in, in, in it, like, Oh, well we want to help Caleb. We want to help Caleb. I really did want to help the kid. Cause I feel like he's got an incredible gift and like, I was blessed. I don't know. We, we collided at the perfect time. It was a divine appointment for sure. And I don't know. Now it's beautiful. I'm pretty sure I just derailed your entire like conversation, just rambling about like my story, but that's like how I got, (laughs) that's how I got to here. Um, and then the Aaron effect just kept taking shape, uh, last year, as I started managing Caleb, I started honing in on what I wanted to do. I wanted to get really good at doing more shows. Uh, I wanted to really help artists out. And since I've never worked in Christian hip hop, really only worked in hip hop for about eight months, um, I wanted to meet the scene. So that's how Rap Real started. Uh, when I was in the UK, uh, uh, they, my band did this show where they let everybody go perform twice. You just got two songs at one point and two songs 
somewhere else. And they did that so that the headliners, so to speak, the band that was bringing the most people, their crowd didn't leave, but they also got to come play at a decent time. So it helped my band because we were from the U.S. and nobody was there to see us. And so it was a perfect situation. And, you know, they do that with later with Jules Holland, the TV show. But apparently Jules Holland got his idea from this venue. Um, So it's it's a beautiful venue in London. We went and played. And I loved the idea. And hip-hop shows, I had, I had been working with the hip-hop artists at that time. Hip-hop shows, they'll come see who they want, and then they'll leave. And it's so heartbreaking, especially when you have a r- big room of people. So I had been doing, I started doing rap reel with that artist when I came back from the UK. Um, and then I got out of music. I gave the show back to him. He kind of let it fall off. So right when I started working with Caleb again, I was like, I got to meet the scene. I'm in Atlanta. I want to meet the Christian hip hop scene in Atlanta. So I and then I knew it was going to be a way for people to come in through this, come into the city. So I started looking for sponsors. I had a situation going with Robzilla. It ended up falling through just because of like random events. It actually was apparently just a missed email. But bless God that that happened because I met track stars who are based in Atlanta. And I'm all about working with my local community. And then the fact that I could go to their station. The first day I went to their station to talk to Sharm about Rap Reel. Uh, he put me on the show and I was like, what? Like, I don't even know y'all. Like, like, I don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I will jump into any situation head right. first. Like I've literally met people in a park and gone to spend the night at their house that night. Like when I'm on tour, like I've done some people think I'm crazy. Like I definitely use wisdom with it, but it's just like, I'll jump into any situation. I'm just like, whatever. But he was just so open about it. And I just loved the way that they were. And when I was on the show that first day, I was like, these people really love Jesus, but they're a part of the real world. And that's like me. Like, I feel like there's this like whole stigma in Christendom that there's a lot of stigmas. And it's like, you can never avoid that. People always try to label you. But I believe we serve a real God, but we're real people. You know what I'm saying? And I felt like they had uh, an in-depth understanding of that. They weren't trying to present anything falsely. They were talking about real issues. And it was just like, they just, they love God. Like, and I could tell that. Like, and to me, like being like aligned with people who have integrity is a huge thing for me. Because it's like, when it's one thing to say something or claim something, but when the rubber meets the road, when you start going through hard times, like, do you really trust what you believe? And so for me, I just got a confident feeling. I was like, I want to align with these people. So they are essentially the people who find all of my artists for me. They put it out to their social networks because I don't know anybody in the Christian hip hop scene. They started promoting my flyer. Like, do you want to play in Atlanta? And I started getting artists from literally all over the U.S., California, Oakland, uh, uh, like uh, L.A., uh, you know, Seattle, you know, like Arizona, like everywhere, just applying to the show. And I was like, this is beautiful. So it was was a great opportunity for me to hear what's going on in the scene um, all over. And then it was great for me to kind of have an opportunity to bring these people to the city. And so I do a good amount of local artists. And then I bring, I try to bring one or two people from out of state, uh, in to perform on the show. And so as we grow and expand, I have dreams to do like a festival type situation. Uh, you know, like there's a lot in store for rap real, I believe, but I feel like track stars, it like, they bless my heart. Like they're like, like they seriously, they're like a, a great community. And I like, 
obviously you're a testament to this because you're an extent you're part of the track stars community but like literally i go there every saturday just to hang out i'm at the show every saturday just because it does my heart so well like it's like a, a community of believers who are fun right, you know what yeah. i'm saying like we have fun every single week we hang out almost every week after the show like right now we're shooting all this stuff for sean's new project to come out which is going to be incredible shout out to sean like pre-order the wonder years yeah. on itunes seriously if you <laughs> haven't like sean is just an incredible like visionary him and ryan have a perfect chemistry they run track stars so efficiently like i'm forever impressed when i'm around them so i don't know they're just beautiful people and i'm so blessed to be a part of what they're doing and um I don't know. Like I'm excited about where things are going. And so like, I guess in a nutshell, there's the Aaron effect. Like I do film, I do consulting, I do, uh, I do artist management. And then, uh, but my, my, my logo, my slogan is making it make sense. Right. So like for me, it doesn't matter where you're at. If you have an idea or a dream, like I want to be like the Red Bull for your dreams. I want to give you wings. So like I I'm down to help in whatever area I specialize in music and film. Um, but I, I think I'm a creative person and I, I I'm, I'm down to learn any industry and I, I have experience in tech space and just all over. So, uh, that's kind of where I work. I'm passionate about people. And for me being passionate about people means that I can go anywhere. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Now let me ask you this, just a curious idea. If somebody out there listens to the show and they love Christian hip hop and they're wanting to figure out how to get into, um, shows and stuff. Would you be open to the idea of having like rap reels all over the country with people heading them up and bringing in shows? Yeah, so that's the goal. Like originally, even this year, when I first started Rap Reel, it was supposed to be a traveling thing. I wanted to prototype it in the city a couple of times um, and then just um, start traveling because I have uh, I have venues in like uh, a lot of the cities in the southeast that I can reach out to. But overhead is high and so like the it's not in, insane I can keep it low especially with my relationships but being able to do it effectively I have to invest a lot of money into it right. so I figured why not add I don't want to add the travel component and add on to it like oh I, people have to show up to the show right. so it's like if I if I keep it here in Atlanta and I really get it going well yeah I I'm, I eventually want to travel with it and I think that's what 2018 is going to look like I really want to do a festival I want to do it at the end of this year, but I don't know how realistic that is. Uh, but I, I want to do a festival and then I want to start traveling. Yeah, I definitely want to get out to other cities, though. And I know like over the next year, I'm going to have even more relationships and it's going to be easier to do that. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a goal. But if they're in another city and they've got good music, send it my way. I'll bring you to Atlanta. But how can they send it to good. you? Uh, so uh, for Rap Reel. There's a, a link on Trackstars page, so it's trackstars.com slash rap reel. Uh, it's not live right now because we haven't um, set the date for the May event. Um, we're still teetering between the second and third week in May. Um, so as soon as we set the date for the May event, we're not doing one in April since the last one was late March. Gotcha. Um, so we're going to do one in May. Um, but if, if it's before that link is open, just hit me up on Twitter. Uh, you can DM me. I'm not going to give you guys, well... I guess I can throw out my email address. It's whatever. I get inundated with emails between like Caleb and everything else, but it's whatever. Uh, so my my email address is uh, lastname.firstname at gmail.com. So night, K-N-I-G-H-T dot Aaron, 
E-R-I-N-N at gmail.com. So just send it my way. Don't send me like download. Send me <laughs> send me a streaming link right. uh, somewhere so I can listen to it. And um, I'll definitely check it out. Like I listen to stuff all the time. And if you want feedback, I'll give you feedback or I'll just be like, this isn't what I'm looking for. So it's whatever you want. Like I'm not a harsh person, but I've got to like it. Like I'm not right. one of those people who are like, oh, you're glorifying Jesus. Just whatever. I'm like, if you're glorifying, glorifying Jesus, it better be good. You know, what it's I'm saying? the like, same with the music submissions process. You know, I beg people all the time, please send in good quality stuff. Right, right. Yeah, like I like we're edifying our heavenly father. Like I want it to edify me when I'm listening. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to be like, well, he said Jesus. So yeah. yeah, like no, that's not acceptable. And I think that that's another thing. Like people are like, well, you didn't like my track. And I'll be like, it's not necessarily what I'm looking for. If people really ask me, I'll tell them why. I was like, well, your mix wasn't really well. Right. Or I feel like you're like biting a generic style and just saying the same things. And there's room for growth. Like, I understand. Like, if you would have met me five or six years ago, you probably would have been like, this chick is all over the place. You know, like <laughs> the, the, the beauty of life is growth. Like, I love seeing forward progression. So like, don't be stopped because I'm not a fan of it right now. I could be a huge fan of it later. Like, Kayla always says his favorite joke is his first mixtape and like I disagree with that because even like I saw his first time ever in the booth I have a video of it when he was 11 I think it's incredible wow. but like that's the thing about progression you have to be in love with what you're doing at that moment and then be able to look back and recognize that you can be better so like I'm all about that so like if you can't recognize that it needs to get better then maybe like we can talk in a year and hopefully you'll see that but but yeah like I'm I'm all about like being better do you know what I'm saying right. it's like you know like if I can help you be better like let's do it like I know I'm flawed and you're flawed like let's help each other right amen so real quick uh, before we before we wrap it up, one thing I was curious about, and uh, and, and I hope you're able to share this, but uh, you were talking about like the overhead being high to do a rap reel. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, I know some people who might be interested in maybe getting into show, uh, doing shows and stuff. You know, if you wouldn't mind sharing, like you know, what's like your average cost for putting on a rap reel? Definitely, I will break it all the way down for you. You don't have to break it all the way down, but you know, I just want people to understand that it's not you know that that, that you know there's cost involved and uh, what, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's so funny to me because people like. I don't know. People don't realize like a tour or all of that stuff costs so much money. Even yeah. if you're getting paid, it costs on a local level. So I have like great connections in the city. I've been doing shows for years. So the venue that I book at, I also manage a venue. My venue is a little bit trapped out. Like we do like a lot of like, uh, uh, like trap shows there. And like, it's like, so it's not the feel that I'm going for, for uh rapper, which is why I don't do it there. I could do right. it for free at my venue. But so I, I, there's another venue that I, I do shows out of called the music room. It's beautiful. I love it. It's right in the heart of Atlanta. It's off of Edgewood. We're a mile from MLK's house. I can literally stand on the street and see MLK's house oh, from wow. here. Um, so, cause it's a straight street and it's clean, like clean view. So you can see straight down. Um, so, we do it there, and the typical cost for that venue is $500 for a weekday show and $2,000 for a weekend show. I have a great relationship with them, so I only have to pay $250 for a weekend show. Oh, wow. Wow. 
So I do it. Well, that's a weekend if I do an early show. So I do it as a day show on Sundays. So Rap Real happens as a day show on Sundays. And um, I do it. uh, So we pay $250 for the venue. And then I have to pay my DJ. Shout out to DJ Michael V. He's my DJ. He's based in Atlanta. He's from New York. He's a great guy. He's just like, he's totally captured the heart of Rap Real. And his goals as a DJ in this scene are the same as mine as a curator and a manager in this scene. So I have to pay him. And he gives me a huge discount because he doesn't go for this cheap so y'all don't try to get him this cheap he gives me he, he literally you don't have to share me. that price you don't have to share that okay. I, yeah, yeah, yeah all right i feel that okay so i have to pay him and um so basically my operating cost with him and then i have a host i have to pay my host and again she gives me a huge discount she hosts like huge conferences she works with passion like all of this but she's just my friend like before i even knew she did all of that she was my friend and then she'd be like oh i'm flying to this conference this week and i'm like oh what are you doing you participating she's like oh no i'm hosting like what like like so yeah so my host lola cole she's uh she's an incredible recording artist too but she's my host i have to pay her so my operating costs are about five hundred dollars to put on rap reel and i have to pay my guy to do a flyer so he he does my flyers for cheap too so i'm about 540 is what my operating cost are for rap reel so when people say they want to come from another state i'm like you can definitely sell merch i can do that but i can't pay you to come like i can't pay for your travel so a lot of times i try to get people from like south carolina louisville you know like drivable states right so or people who are like oh i have family in town i'll come visit them and i'll do the show so that's rap real. And then, so I post the link on Eventbrite. Trackstars is not a financial con- contributor. Like a lot of people see sponsored by Trackstars right. and they're like, oh, they must cover that. Trackstars is my, um, they're a promotional sponsor. So they promote the show. They get me all of the acts like that. They do all of the, like to me, that's the heavy lifting. I wouldn't right. be able to have a show if I didn't have acts. Like I promote it on my Twitter, but I have like 500 people who follow me. Like Trackstars has thousands upon thousands on their Twitter, Instagram. So like they're putting it out to the community. Um, so they did that. Uh, so, so like, yeah, so it's about five fifty with my operating cost are. And then I sell tickets on Eventbrite. So the tickets on Eventbrite are $10. Eventbrite charges me like $1.50 for the service and then plus another dollar from every sale I get. So I pass on the $1.50. Well, it's like $1.32. I pass that on to the to the people buying the ticket, but I have to pay the dollar out of the ticket. So really, if I sell a ticket online for $10, I only get $9 from it. And then we sell them for $12 at the door. So the venue holds about 220 people in it. If we pack it out with like what I'm saying that we could make $2,000, but (laughs) we've never packed it out. So the first one, The first one, well, we got close. The first one we sold, uh, we were like eight tickets from a sellout. But what I did is I went to my church because I wanted to have a great event. And I said, if you buy two tickets, you get one free or you can sponsor someone. So my church just started buying tickets. And I, again, my parents, we had like 75 or 80, 10 years ago. Now we have about 200 people at our church now. So our church is still not very big, but like we had a handful of people sponsor. A lot of my church came through. So we had a, we had a nice showing. Uh, some of the artists promoted and, you know, some of their people came out. But what artists don't understand is it's costing me that to do the show. As soon as that show ends, I have to fork up another $250 to pay for the event. I split a portion with track stars because they're bringing in the talent and then I have to pay my DJ. So it's a constant door of me spending about $1,000 a month to pay for the one that just happened and the one that's about to happen. Right. Like, you know, uh, well, it's really, it's like 500. Yeah. It's about, it's about 550 each month to do it. 
And so taking 550 out of the ticket sales, especially when I gave away two, the first show I made like $90 <laughs> and I was two tickets, like eight tickets away from a sellout. Right. So it's like, people are like, Oh, well, there's so many people here. Da, 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 da. Like I killed myself and marketed. I was running the streets, begging all of my friends to show up and they did. I can't do that every show. You I was going to say, I so think the one thing that people might not take into effect is the, you know, the Aaron effect is the, uh, <laughs> is the time and the yes. energy and effort. Like that's, 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 that costs a whole lot more than $90. Yeah. And, and so, it's like people, yeah, yeah. People think that like, Oh, I throw up a flyer and people just show up to my show. Like I wish there's promoters who are like that. Cause they've established something and right. that's beautiful. And I hope that it happens like that eventually, but it's like, it doesn't just, and the reason that that happens is because they consistently curate good talent. They have a consistent date and time for their things. So for me, it's establishing consistency. And I know it's an investment into that. So for the artists, like for me, one of my biggest frustrations and the biggest way I will not book you again is if you don't promote the show. Right. Like, why would I put you on the show just to, like, cause a lot, especially a lot of Christian artists, they think that there's a built-in crowd because they're so used to paying the church circuit. You show up to a church, there's a whole crowd of people, and then they pay you. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm doing a venue show. I come from the secular world. Nobody's giving you anything. And Christian artists take that for granted. That's a blessing to be able to say, I'm going to a church this weekend, right. and there's a built-in crowd. Sometimes I'll hit up artists that I'm interested in. I'd be like, I'd love if you were to apply to rapper because I want to put you on the show. And they'll be like, how much are you going to pay me? I'm like, hey, brother, that's not this show. <laughs> like, and, and, the, and the thing is, I do pay the artists. That's right. another reason I don't make a lot of money. I give them 20% of the ticket sales up to 10 tickets. So when they sell 10 tickets, I give them 20% of that. Right. So $2 off of each ticket. After that, they get 30% of all the tickets that they sell. So if you bring a decent amount of people, you'll walk away with 40 or 50 bucks, which to me is cool. Like you had a good show. You We sell out the venue. You know, if every artist were to bring 10 people and I bring 20 people I'm at this point it used to be six or seven people on the show but now it's just going to be five but if each of you guys bring five people track stars bring you know each person brings 10 track stars brings 10 I bring 20 the venue is pretty full because my venue is small if you have 30 people in there it looks like it's decent but 200 people you're standing like smashed against each other so like I'm not even looking for 200 every time but I want a solid 100 to 150 people every show right. and when artists kind of don't take part in like promoting it it blows my mind because i'm like yo like i'm giving you an opportunity like you bring your crowd they bring their crowd you're in front of new people you know but i don't know it's a learning experience for sure for sure and then even kind of bringing christian artists over into the way that things actually operate like no disrespect to the church or the christian circuit but christian hip-hop operates outside of typical rules yeah and it's like like people people don't realize it it's easier for them to operate that way and they should be grateful for it but if if they really want to make a living kind of in the mainstream world and don't want to stay on the church circuit, they've got to kind of learn the rules of the industry and how things go. The majority of hip hop artists, when they first start, spend their time going to open mics and paying for opening slots. Yeah. Like, and that's just the way that it goes. So if you can come in and say, I've never had to do that, the least you can do is promote a show and learn how to really promote a show, you know, because that's a learning curve for you when you start trying to tour and stuff. If you don't want to only do churches, you'll have to learn how to really promote a show. And then churches appreciate it if you have a, if they have an event and people that they don't know show up to like when I was just in uh Toronto with Caleb we promoted the event 
and people that weren't even a part of, like we were at a conference. So it wasn't necessarily like a specific church. We were in this like college, but it was a Christian conference and we promoted it and people showed up to the church or showed up to the conference for Caleb. And they appreciated that because they're like, there's new people coming in. It's not just our people. So I feel like that's the best way for an artist to win. And then when you promote it, your fans who don't typically get to see you get to come by your merch physically. You know what I'm saying? They get to feel you, see you. That's what turns people into super fans. So I don't know. I could ramble on and on for days about like, uh, like things that make music better and how to strengthen your business. So let me not get caught up in that. But like, yeah, (laughs) we need like (laughs) a part two or three. Part two and three. Yeah, I was just going to mention real quick. Uh, that kind of reminds me of like this past Winter Jam. Like Stephen Malcolm, he he retweeted so many pictures of meet and greet that he did after his his show at Winter Jam. He is a cool dude. I didn't see anything from. I mean, no 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 disrespect to him. I know he's a busy man, but I didn't see anything from Andy Minio, like at uh, all. There were no retweets of fans, you know, anything at all. And Stephen Malcolm, he just blasted them out over and over yeah. and over and over. And that's how the people that. The people that sat there and, and saw the show and met Stephen Malcolm and were introduced to him for the first time, they're going to be more amazed and, and remember that more so than just seeing Andy perform. And uh, let me tell you like a cool stat about that though. Like, and it's crazy. Like, it's not an exact number or anything, but Stephen Malcolm, I was introduced to him because for, anyways, I was introduced to his business side. I don't know him personally or anything. But I remember like looking him up and I'm like, oh, he's like relatively unknown, blah, blah, blah. I was just on his Instagram yesterday. His numbers have blown out the roof from what you're saying. Not because he's performing on Winter Jam. There may be five or six people who are like, well, not five. He may get 100 extra people from Winter Jam each night who are liking and whatever. But it's because he's so he's so on point with connecting with his fans and that's, what's going to create explosive growth because he's hungry for it. And he understands that these are the people who are coming out to see me. And they're going to be the people who are, who are coming to my tour when I'm not on winter jam. I think a lot of artists forget that they just, they're like, Oh, I got fans. I got fans. Like your fans aren't going to connect with you until you make the decision to connect with them. You know, that's what turns a fan into a super fan. Exactly. Yeah. That's good stuff. Well, Aaron, it's been, I think this is the longest interview I've done because there's been so, so much sorry. great. Oh no, it's good. It's good though because there's been so much good stuff. And um, so yeah, make sure uh, you can check her out on Instagram at the Aaron Effect and Aaron uh, with an E and two N's, and then on Twitter Aaron T S C. Is that correct? Yes, at Aaron T S C. There you go. All right, and if you want to submit music. For, for Rap Real to let Aaron check out, you can do so. Can they, they can submit it at Trackstars? Is that right? Yeah, they okay. can. Uh, well, the, the link isn't open right now, so just hit me on Twitter. I'll give you my email, or or you can DM me a link or something like that. Or you can just submit it to Music Process and just throw in the word Rap Real, the phrase Rap Real, and I'll just pass it along to her. Perfect. Thank you so that much. That would work, too, if y'all want to do that. And, uh, and yeah, and if y'all want to check out anything uh, more about you know show promotion, things like that, uh, I'm sure you can hit her up on Twitter or something and she'll hit you back or something, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got you guys. Hit me up. I, I communicate. I'm not one of those, like, hit me up and then I never respond. Right. I, I'm definitely active. She's taking a Stephen Malcolm approach. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Aaron. Well, we appreciate you being on the show. Hopefully we can have you back soon to, to break down even some more of the stuff because uh, I felt like we just scratched the surface. 
So thank you so much, Jason. I appreciate yeah, you. I appreciate you being here and uh, and introducing the ladies to the show for the first hey, time. Hey, hey, hey. That's ladies awesome. represent. And yeah, so keep holding it down and we really appreciate you being here. And, and, and I hope that right road just continues to grow. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. And, uh, and God bless. Have a good one. All righty. That was the interview with Aaron Knight of the Aaron effect. So y'all make sure if you're in the Atlanta area and you check out the show, make sure you check out the rap rail that she has going on. And, uh, and you know, I've, I'm, I'm going to go to one myself one day and hopefully we can get that going on all around the nation. And, uh, and if you're interested in being a part of that, make sure you hit her up again. That's night dot Aaron at gmail.com. I'll have her, um, email address down in the, the show notes for the, uh, or the description for the show. So you can hit her up if you're interested and in being a part of happening that at, having that happen in your local area. And so Aaron, again, I thank you so much for being on the show. It was awesome. She apologized multiple times for, for sharing her story and uh, what she thought she was doing a long, uh, you know, going too long. And for me, I love hearing the backstory behind those who are, you know, trying to make a difference in the world, in their business. And, and with her essentially trying to help others, which to me, that's the whole entire premise of a business. And, um, it's helping others do what they want to do or get a product or service that they need. And then, you know, you being able to, uh, exchange, you know, uh, there's a monetary benefit to it for sure. But, uh, but Aaron, thank you for what you do. And again, uh, really appreciate what you got going on there at the Aaron effect. And, you know, I also want to thank the, the patrons for the show, Mr. Aaron Simpkins at truestrengthapparel.com. Make sure you go check out the website and check out the challenge that KJ52 has put into effect. So go follow um, KJ52 over at uh, on Instagram and you can see what he's got going on with the uh, giving away some True Strength Apparel clothing. And I also want to thank WordPress Stan for, uh, for what he does. Uh, helping out the show on Patreon. And so if you need some help with the WordPress design, make sure you hit him up at WPStand.com. And also, one of the biggest things that um, you know I really want to make sure you do is if you're not currently following Trackstars or listening to the show, make sure you do that. Check out their podcast. Uh, if you love Christian hip-hop in general, go check out the Line for Line that they have on YouTube, which is a huge hit, and everybody loves that. And so you can check that out. And as my man Ryan Rochester says, it's your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast. <laughs> uh, a couple weeks ago, if you watched the show, you know what I'm talking about and why that's so funny. So anyway, I want to thank all y'all for listening to the show. If you would, uh, you know, I'd love it if you would share the show with a friend uh, if they're interested in business. You know, this is definitely those for who, who like business, who like talking business, who like studying business. And, um, you know, I, I love hearing these stories from the the people who are trying to get theirs started up and going. And so, you know, that's essentially why I do this, because I love hearing the backstories, because we all have a story of our own. We all have a journey. We all have a life that we're trying to lead. And for those who are trying to start a business, you know, it just adds another aspect to that story. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your time. And we will see you back next week. Thanks and God bless. Oh, hey, one last thing I forgot to mention. Don't forget to check out businesswithbordeaux.com. And if you want to be a sponsor or patron for the show, you can do so there. And all of my blog postings are there as well. So there, that's actually the end of the show.